Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. I'm Justin, and this is Sabbath or Die. Um, but seriously, though. And uh, hi. You see, it's slackers. Um, my hope, uh, which is almost always the case uh, with these things, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for a little bit. Uh, I say that. I mostly mean it. Um, I'm going to talk for a little bit and then uh, hopefully get to a part where we can be a little bit more conversation. Um, That's my hope. At any point as I'm talking, before I get to the part where we're actually in like Q&A conversation, if I say something uh, and a question pops up for you, I want you to raise your hand because I would rather engage. I'm totally serious. I would rather engage with your question than just keep talking about the things that are already in my head. Like, I, like I've got a talk planned, but the reason I came here is not because I have a talk planned. I came here because you're here, and what's happening in your life is actually the thing that interests me. Does that make some sense? Like, I could do this in a room by myself and record it, and that'd be fine, but it's the fact that God is up to something in you uh, that makes the talk worth doing. So if there's something that stirs in you, even as I'm talking, I'm, mid, like I'm mid-sentence telling a story about my dog who died, I'm weeping, you're like, I have a question. If you, like, just do that and let's roll with it. And I'm completely serious when I say that. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, cool. Um, also, if you're sitting in the back, so Dave, can you hear me? Okay, great. I'm going to leave the mic here. I don't want to walk around with the mic, so if I can be loud enough. Can you, what's your name? Yep. Can you hear me? What? That was a good joke. What I, the, my, my part. My part was funny. Okay, great. Um, so it is called Sabbath or Die, and I'm actually relatively serious about the title, which is why it says, but seriously, though. Um, but before I dive into specifically talking about uh, Sabbath and Sabbath practice, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this idea of living spiritually. The Sabbath is a spiritual discipline. It's also a commandment, which we'll talk about. It's a commandment. Um, when I think about living spiritually, here's a the, kind of a, a picture. I don't, I don't want to believe that. No, I'll just tell you the story. So this young man goes to his pastor, priest, friend, and he says, man, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right in my spirit. Like something's wrong. The pastor says, what's going on? Every night, every single night, I get to the end of my day, and just like you used to tell me to do, like I, I kind of think through my day, kind of meditate through like what happened through my day. I like, you know, it's, it's a little kind of decompression time, a little bit of prayer, of examine. I'm laying in my bed, and as I start to think through my day, every night, like I lay down, I start thinking through my day. I just, I have this horrible, horrible feeling, like in my heart, because it's like it physically manifests itself. It's like, it's like this pressure. And the pastor's like, wow, that sounds really serious. Can you talk more about it? He goes, I, I just like, he's like, you know that story in the Bible where like the, the disciples are walking with Jesus after the resurrection and they talk about how like their hearts were burning within them. He's like, yeah. He goes, it's just like that, but it's like really negative. It's like, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's like, I, I just, I just feel like something's wrong. It's pressure and it's like pain and like something's wrong with my life. And what's, what do you think God's telling me? And the pastor doesn't say anything. He kind of slides out of his chair. And the guy thinks immediately the pastor is going to like kneel on the ground and start praying for him because he's going to get all spiritual. So he leans out of the chair and the guy like 
does this on the, to receive the prayer from this pastor to be healed of whatever's going on. And the pastor reaches into a satchel, pulls out a little bottle of antacids and hands it to him. He says, son, you have heartburn. <laughs> and what I want to suggest is that that's not an unspiritual moment. Can someone say amen? Because what happens in your body is part of how you spiritually practice your life. Jesus Christ was not raised in the spirit. Jesus Christ was raised in the body. And what happens with your physical life is part of how you practice your life spiritually. There is not one square inch in all the human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry mine. Not one square inch. All of it matters. To think spiritually about our lives is not to say that stuff over there is spiritual and then over here is my social life. Somebody say amen. Like, that's the, over here's my spiritual stuff, and then over here's my economics, and over, over here's how I, how I budget, and over here is, is how I do this, over here. To, div, to divide our lives up and treat ourselves as if we live in sections is Gnosticism, and it leads to all kinds of massively troublesome things like white supremacy. But embodied practice is the heartbeat of following Jesus. If it's not living in your skin, if it's not in your shoes, if it's not in your budget, if it's not on your calendar, if I cannot see it manifest in your life, I would question whether or not we're actually talking about Christianity. It's got to be in your life. It's got to be in your body. So when we talk about spirituality, God is concerned with every single facet and aspect of your life. That's what I think it means to, to live and think spiritually. It's to know that God considers everything from the clothes on your back to, how, to literally the amount of money you actually have access to in your life. All of that is a matter of spiritual practice, including, and I'll come back to this later on, the numbers of people in this room, in this, in this place, who, uh, are in, who are struggling with mental health issues or however people want to say, if you're someone who's got a therapist, if you're someone who's got, if you're on meds, like that is part of your spiritual practice. If you need medication, spirit, like, like mentally, if, you, if you've got imbalances and stuff that's going on with you and you are on medication, taking your medication is a spiritual discipline. And to not do it would be to dishonor the God who's trying to heal you. So that's what I think when I think about living spiritually. There is uh, no practice, uh, no place in, in the Christian practice, I think it is as comprehensively inclusive of your whole life as the practice of Sabbath. And before I dive into it, here's what I mean when I talk about Sabbath. I mean one whole day of rest from work without obligation every week committed to God. And I hope that's intimidating to you because it's intimidating to me. The Sabbath practice means that you look at your calendar and there are 52 days Every single year, you pull off your calendar. You are doing no work. 52 days every year. Poof. Gone. They're handed over to God. Now, I practice the Sabbath. My wife and I practice Sabbath. Our kids are in on the, in on the thing now. And I did not come to the practice of Sabbath because I was like, this sounds like a great idea. I'm super into this. I came to the Sabbath practice because I was toast. It was like eggs housed I was done and that's oftentimes how we come into these things and I don't think God cares how we show up somebody say amen I think God cares that we do show up and he says just bring me you however you can get here and I'll do something when you do so uh here's how I got in the door I've been self-employed 
since 1998, uh, which is super great. I like my job. I like what I do. I like that I get to make my own schedule, set my own budget. Part of what it means to be self-employed as an artist, pastor, coach, author, person, whatever it is that I do, I don't know anymore, uh, is like, yeah, I set my own schedule, but if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. No one's telling, no one sets an agenda for me. No one tells me, hey, here's what, here's what we're doing. Here's when it's due. Here's who you got to talk to. Like I li- if I do not move the ball, the ball does not move in my life. Here's the other thing it means <laughs> is if I don't generate income, it doesn't come in. Like literally is like, I, there's a direct correlation between the work of my life and whether or not I get paid. Not all jobs are like that. Sometimes you're going to get paid whether or not you do your job or not. And the pressure, especially on, that came from that was pretty immense. In fact, just as a matter of context, even as I stand here in front of you right now, and this has been true for about 20 years, a little more than 20 years, I do not know with anything remotely like certainty whether or not I will be making enough money three to five months from now. I have no idea. Where's your money coming from three to five months from now, McRoberts? I don't know. And I don't tell you that as a matter of pride, like, look at my faith. I'm like, it's more like, it's hard to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm telling you that because, like, the pressure that comes from that, especially, like, mortgage. I got two kids. The pressure that can come from that can actually just exhaust, has exhausted me, wear me completely out. So, a bunch of years ago, my wife and I, we're very, very, very tired. And my wife, who's usually like about a half step, sometimes a full step ahead of me with regards to like sensitivity to what's going on in our lives. She's like, hey, so, you know, this is, this is getting problematic. We're really tired. And I was like, well, that's just part of being an adult. Being tired is part of being an adult is what I said. I'll come back to that in a second. So she reads this excerpt in this book. <clears throat> no, she's reading a magazine. There's an excerpt of a book in the magazine. And the book is called uh, uh, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath by an author named Mark Buchanan. And she reads this excerpt. And she's like, hey, this is, this is speaking to us right now. I think this is like, we should check this out. You should check out this excerpt. I'm like, literally, I'm like, I don't have time to read an excerpt of a book about rest because I'm working. That's, what, that's where I was. She's like, well, I'm going to order the book. So she orders the book. She reads the book. She's like, this is like us. We need to get in on this. Like, do you have like a Cliff Notes option? Like what's, like, what's the gist of the thing? So she's like, here's what I'm going to do. Because my wife's brilliant. She goes, seven weeks out. She plans this Saturday. She goes, seven, we're going we're gonna to practice this Sabbath seven weeks out. I'm going to take some of the stuff we'll learn from this book. We're going to apply it to our lives directly. That's what I'm going to do. So seven weeks out, she goes. And, she sees seven, and it's seven weeks out because she knows that like right about 10 days out, I have no idea what happened. I'm like, I don't know. Like it's just gone. Like I know what's happening for the next 10 days and, like, and then it's just vapor. So she was like, seven weeks out, I'm going to do the Sabbath. I was like, great. The next day, I get a message from my buddy, uh, Dan, in Kansas City. And he's like, hey man, what are you doing this particular weekend? Which is seven weeks out. Including the Saturday my wife just set aside. And then I was like, nothing, I've got nothing. Which technically was true because she was like, what are we going to do on that Saturday? We'll do nothing. We'll rest. I was like, I got nothing going on. <laughs> so I go to my wife. I'm like, hey, babe, I love you. You know I do. And, uh, but like, I got a job. And if I don't work, we don't eat. She was like, okay, I hear you. 
what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm heading to Kansas City. I'll be at Heartland for the weekend. Okay. What's the, what's the thing about it? I'm like, I don't really know. I'm just, I'm there Thursday through Sunday and, you know, you know, we, maybe we should both go. Be kind of, she's like, okay, well, you know, I guess that's what we're doing. Okay, cool. So she's, the, you know, a week later, like, what, what is it we're planning for? So I got to call my buddy. I'm like, hey, so Dan, like, what's, you know, so I can plan, you know, talks and stories and songs and stuff. Like, what am I, what, what's my responsibility, you know, and what's the theme? Like, what's going on? And he goes, oh, yeah. So the staff and I, we just finished this book by a guy named Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God. <laughs> restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. I was like, really fascinating. Uh, <laughs> It's so weird. He's like, have you read it? I'm like, nope, I have not read it. He's like, I'll send you a copy. He's like, you do that. You send me that copy. So he sends me a copy of the book. I do not read it. I don't read it twice. Um, so I read, watch this. I read just enough. Seriously, watch this. I read just enough of the back to get the gist so that I can do the job. Which... One, that's funny. Two, that's also how we practice our spiritual lives. I get just enough information so that I can do the job, but not enough that I'm ever actually changed. So we get to Kansas City, and Thursday goes, Friday's great, Saturday, really interesting day. Sunday, they do like, they were, at the time, they're doing like four services. And between services, Dan comes to me and says, hey, bro, you're tired. Like, I can tell. Like, like you're, you're weary. I was like, yeah. And I say to him what I said to my wife, like, being tired is just part of being an adult. And I'm like, and you, you know what it's like, man. You got a big job. You got stuff to do. And being a professional, like, it's, you get more tired. Being, you got a job. And the lie that I had bought, you've heard me say twice. And maybe your heart didn't register quite enough like how deep a lie it is. But this is what I just said to my wife and to my, one of my best friends. That being tired is part of being adult. No, it's not. Exhaustion is not evidence that you have grown up. Exhaustion is evidence that you're not living well and you will probably die early, period. That's it. Exhaustion is not evidence that you are living fully. Exhaustion is not evidence that you take your job seriously. Exhaustion is not evidence that you are a professional and you've got important work to do. Exhaustion is only and ever evidence that you are not living well and you are costing yourself hours and days over the long haul. So he goes, hey man, why don't you just stay? You're supposed to fly home tomorrow morning. I'll eat your ticket. Stay for a couple days. I was like, okay, great. Let's do that. Stick around. He's like, go give you some stuff to read. You guys just stay and rest. It's like, you know what? I feel that, man. That's good. I'll do that. <laughs> so in between uh, services, my, my phone is buzzing in my pocket. And uh, it's my buddy Kirk. And Kirk, who lives in Nashville, has texted me. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing this week? It's, all this, this entire story is true. Uh, and I, so in, like, in, like I finish a song. I'm off stage. I check my phone. I'm like, and Kirk's like, hey, you know, can you get here tomorrow, which is Monday? I was like, yep, I can be there. Absolutely. He's like, great. So he buys, he buys my ticket right there and then. So I go to Dan after all, I'll send him. I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I appreciate it. You, I love you. You know, I do. Uh, but I, I got a job, and you know how it goes, man. Like, I, I got to go get this thing, and I got to, you know, I gotta, if I don't work, we don't eat. He's like, what are you doing? I said, uh, my buddy Kirk's doing a thing in Nashville. It's like a retreat for artists. And 
uh, their song leader bowed out for some reason, and we don't, but they, they, you know, they wanted, so he asked if I could be there. I was like, hey, I just happened to be in the middle of the country anyways. He's like, oh, wow, okay. So on the way to the airport the next morning, I call Kirk, my buddy in Nashville. It's like, hey, man, just so I can get a kind of a gauge on, like, what I'm preparing for in terms of, like, <laughs> you can feel this coming, right? Uh, <laughs> you, but you have no idea. Uh, just so you can get, you know, songs and, you know, you know how many sessions. And, and it's like, what's the theme? He goes, oh, yeah, so we're flying this author in. His name's Mark Buchanan. He wrote a book called The Rest of God, Restoring a Shut Up! Like, what? He's like, you know the book? I'm like, yeah. So, so I, get to Nashville, I get to Nashville, and I walk into this room, and I'm, I'm like, scared? Because I'm going to meet this guy who's book is chasing me across the country and when I walk into the room because that would be good if it ended there but if I when I walk in the room my buddy is actually there the guy who they had originally hired to lead songs he's there in the room with his sheets out his guitar and he's like ready to go and I was like dude Matthew what are you doing here he goes it's so weird like, I heard that they called you, but like, I never told them that I wouldn't be here. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I have no idea what happened. I'm like, I think I might. <laughs> I think I got suckered by Christ <laughs> into showing up here. <laughs> and within the first 15 minutes of Mark Buchanan's presentation, he said this thing that uh, has stuck with me, and I'm going to pass on to you. He said, I'm going to assume you love what you do. And we we're all like, yes. And I think you can tell, like, just watching me do what I do, I love my job. Like, I love my job. I love my job. So I think you, you know, I'm going to assume you love what you do. And we're all like, yeah, love what we do. He says, if you want to do what you love, and you want to do it well, long term, you have to learn to not do it. The most burned out cats I know are people who love what they do. Because you can't quit. Because you don't quit. And there isn't a darker place in the human soul than to be in a position in which you actually resent the people you love. You actually resent the things you do that you love. To resent the things you love is a really, really dark place to live. And a lot of people live there. If you want to do what you love and you want to do it well long term, you have to learn to not do it. So that you're acting out of rest, wholeness, and love and not out of obligation and anxiety. The Sabbath, like I said, is a practice. Um, yeah, I'll do this. So here's what I mean by practice. Just one last definition. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named David Brooks. He, uh, he's, he writes, uh, he's written several books. Byron's got several of them in the bookstore. Uh, they're all worth reading. But a number of years ago, he wrote a, an article about baseball and how baseball has the, the human brain hacked. 
And he said he was at a Dodgers game uh, in the 90s. And he got there like an hour and a half ahead of time. And if you go to a Major League Baseball game an hour and a half ahead of time, what's happening on the field? Practice. Batting, fielding practice. So playing third base for the Dodgers at the time was a guy named Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent, 38 years old at the time of the story, one of the best defensive infielders in baseball, insanely talented, great instincts, arms and legs for days, just big lanky guy, cannon of an arm. And there he is, 38 years old, ready position, Coach hits the ball towards the third base. He slides over, one knee on the ground, hop step, points up throw to first base, and back to ready position over and over again. And Brooks is like, <laughs> there are six-year-old kids this same day across town running that drill. This guy's 38. He's not just a ball player. He's a professional ball player. And he's one of the best in the league. He's one of the best people ever in human history to do what he does. That's actually what's true about a guy who plays baseball. One of the best ever to do the thing he does. And he's literally running a drill that six-year-old kids run, a drill that he's been running for 32 years because he started playing when he was six, which means like almost every day of Kent's life, since he was six, he ran that drill. So Brooks is like, why would someone who is that good and a professional run that drill an hour before he goes and gets paid millions of dollars to do what he does. He says, because when a baseball comes off a bat in a major league ball game, it's going anywhere between like 85 and 125 miles an hour, unless you play for the Pirates, and then it's, you know, like it's a 15-mile-an-hour slow dribbler. Um, And if you're standing 85, 90, 100 feet away from home plate, and that ball's coming at you at 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to decide what to do, to prepare yourself, to posture yourself. You don't have time to think. You simply have to respond. And that's the part where I say something that's a little on the edge, and some of you all will be like, I don't know. Because of the nature of our lives and our culture, and this is true of most of us in the room, probably not true of all of us, but... For most of us, you will have the option of living the vast majority of your days without a felt need for the grace of Jesus. It won't be a felt need. You will wake up most of your days and you will have the option of getting through without him and you'll be fine. And then the day will come when you do. And when you do, God, may you not be the kind of person who's trying to figure out in the moment if you believe that Jesus hears you when you talk. On that day, you need to know how to posture yourself to receive his grace. May you not be trying to figure out how to posture your soul, your body, your mind to receive the grace of Jesus. On that day when you do have that felt need, may you not be the kind of person who's trying to figure out if you trust your own words and your own soul. In fact, may you be the kind of person who is so practiced at doing it that when you absolutely need to, because life is coming at you at 100 miles an hour and it never slows down, y'all, you shift into ready position and your body responds and your mind responds and you're ready to roll. Why do you do it every week, the Sabbath practice? 
One of the reasons is because sometime in your life, it's going to come down hard. Life's going to get more than crazy. And you're going to need to know how to rest. And if you're trying to figure out how to rest when you need to rest, you'll wear yourself out trying. So like I said, it's a commandment. (laughs) Y'all, it's a commandment. There are 10. It's one of them. And it's not just one. It comes before killing people. Like legit. Don't kill folks comes after take a day off. Watch the order because I think these is like the, the, the scriptures are not random. Can somebody say amen? Like these things happen for specific reasons. They're designed, they're put together intentionally. The first three commandments are about the shape and the holiness of God. Have no other gods before me because I'm holy. Don't even make, try to make anything that looks like me. In fact, don't even try to use my name. This is about who God is. The first three commandments about just a simple recognition of who God is. The very first commandment that has anything to do with how we're supposed to behave in the world in light of the holiness of God is practice the Sabbath. Before about killing people and stealing stuff. And you honor, this is half joke. I hope if we practiced the Sabbath, if we took days off maybe we wouldn't be so interested in killing and stealing and taking other people's stuff. Somebody say amen. Amen. Pastor, uh, I think it might have been A.J. Swoboda. A.J. Swoboda's got a really great book in uh, Byron's Bookstore about Sabbath. I think it was him and he was on a podcast. And he said, you know, as a pastor, if if I killed somebody, if I slept with someone else's wife, if I slept with someone who wasn't my wife, if I stole something, I would be fired. But if I don't practice the Sabbath, I'll get a raise. And y'all know that's true, right? Y'all know that like our culture, our church culture has been infected by this notion that if you don't work, you don't eat. And people who overwork get rewarded for overworking. It's a commandment. And we break it all the time. Uh, I'll skip to this. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop. And as we stop, we can gain renewal, rest, and replenishment so that we can live our lives more fully. But before it was in the commandments, it's actually woven into the fabric of the universe because the Sabbath, as a practice, is about the shape of God. It's not just about being healthy. It's about who God is. Somebody say amen. Amen. The commandments of the Lord are not just about, hey, here's some protections to keep you safe in the world. The commandments of the Lord are entirely rooted in who God is as God. And it's revealed really early. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished all the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Finished. Finished. Done. 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 Do you think? Well, first of all, like, I think you get this already you never feel finished, finished, done, done, done. Like you never, you never feel finished. There's always more to do. Someone say amen. There's always more to do. 
And the older you get, the, word, the, the, the harder that is. Like, you, there's even more. The, you, there will be forever, forever and ever, ever, this increasing list of crap you did not achieve. Forever. And it only gets longer. You don't take care of more of your to-do list. You get just a longer one. Forever. So it's not even you don't feel finished. Like, but the idea of like finish, finish, done, done, done. Whoever feels finished, finished, done, done, done. Nobody. Which takes me to this. Like, do you think God comes to the end of like day six and is like, oh gosh, it was brutal. Creation is hard. Gosh. Monkeys. So, so, so tough. You make one, he's off somewhere. Or do you think God rests because God chooses to rest? See, I came to the practice of Sabbath because I was exhausted. And that's fine. But I practice Sabbath because I want to look like God. I want to live in the shape of God. I practice Sabbath because I want to look like Jesus. I want to choose rest. In fact, let me just say it out loud. If we don't choose rest, we don't rest. Rest has to become the choice we make as opposed to the thing we get to when you're done working because you're never done working. Rest cannot in the course of your life be the thing you get to when you're done working. You have to choose to look at your work life and say, I'm sorry, I know you got stuff that you need me to take care of, but you're not the boss of my life. Christ is, and he told me to take a day off. So you got some urgencies, and I understand that, and I know that my work life, hey, I know you feel this is really urgent, but this is the Lord God Almighty, and he said take a day off so y'all can wait till I'm done resting with the Lord, then I'll come back to you when he says it's time. Finished, finished, done, done, done is a choice. When my wife and I found out that we, this is not my house, uh, it's a picture from the Google. When we found out we were, uh, she was pregnant with our, with our first, his name is Asa, he's nine now. We freaked out because we didn't have enough, we thought, space. So we had to move my wife out of her office and, and like rearrange the room. And I'm not like, I'm not terrible with like tools and what have you, but I'm not great. And I wanted to do this well. So I called my buddy Jesse. I'm like, hey, I got to put the shelving unit in, into our, in you know, the downstairs room. And he's like, yeah, did you pick it up? I'm like, I went to Ikea, I got the shelving unit. And I'm like, I just, you know, could you come by and help me out? He's like, sure. So on the Saturday, he comes by and I block out like a three and a half hour time period to make this shelving unit. And I, I, I've got like a, I got sandwiches. We're going to like have man time, like make a shelf. Use the afternoon. <laughs> make right off. It's going to be awesome. So Jesse shows up, like I said, I blocked out three and a half hours. Homeboy is finished in like a half hour, 35 minutes. He's done. Just because he's great. And, that he, and he went beyond like just putting the thing together. He got like brackets and like pinned it against the wall because we have earthquakes in the West Coast and those are bad for babies. So, <laughs> so Jesse's like, hey man, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm going to bounce. Is it cool for you to go? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'll see you later on. And so he leaves and now I've got a dilemma, right? Like, do I or do I not eat his sandwich? And <laughs> my actual dilemma was this. I'd, I'd set aside three and a half hours uh, we were done in half an hour. Uh, what am I going to do with this time? And then my little Terminator digital mental readout popped up with all of the crap that I have not achieved. 
and this is what I need to do next, and like, what can I cram this time full of in order to make it useful? And something like wisdom got a hold of my heart and said, why don't you just stop for a second and take the moment in? So I grabbed a stool, and I sat down in the middle of this room, and I looked at the shelf, and it was really well done. <laughs> it's like it was straight, which it would not have been had I done it. So I was like, well, thank God Jesse did it. Uh, nope, you know what? Uh, let me do that better. God, thank you for Jesse. Yeah, Lord, thank you for Jesse DeBoer. What a good guy. Great guy. He literally came over here to think that, like, people get paid to do that. He came and did it for free because he loves us. He and Andrea are great. Thank you for them. Thank you for the divorce. They're very good friends. You know, and it's not just them. We're surrounded by good people. The Rossons, the Debors, the Lyles, the Caligiras, the Bloxhams. Wow, Lord, thank you for the community of people I get to live my life with. And for the desire you put in us to stay here in the San Francisco Bay instead of bounce. Like we could have, it would have been easier in some seasons to live in Nashville or live in Los Angeles, but you, you put this seed of desire to stay here. Thank you. My wife and I are just better than, better than we would have, and my wife, and she's, she's great. She's going to be such a good mom. She's going to be a mom. She's going to be great at being, I'm going to be a dad. Lord, uh, I'm nervous about that. But thank you for the chance to be a dad. And I don't want to be nervous anymore. I want to set straight all the crap my father's family has been passing down for generations. Thank you. And I sat there for I don't know how long. And I just took in how stupid good I have it. You have a stupid good life. You don't just have a decent life. Somebody say amen. You're not just getting by, friends. You're insanely blessed. Ridiculously blessed. It's, it's like, you can't even, but you don't feel that way. And that's not because you're stupid. It's because every day, every single day, minute after minute, there are messages in the world that are directly intended to do this, that are stealing the joy of your blessedness from you so that you would not know that you are blessed and beloved. But you would be worried as hell about what comes next constantly because this is where you haven't got to. This is what you should weigh. This is how much money you ought to be making. This is how soon you should have finished school. This is what you should have, would have, could have constantly. It's always about what you do not have, what you have not achieved, where you're supposed to be next. And the Sabbath is an invitation to stop and let the ridiculous goodness of Jesus Christ in your life catch up with you and say, you have been so good to me. And I don't know what happens tomorrow, but I know what's happened every day up till now. So I am just not going to worry about tomorrow because you have had me and you will continue to have me. You've got my back and I've got a track record to prove it.
You have to make time. Regular time. I'm saying have to. This is why it's a commandment, friends. You have to make time to stop and see the goodness of God in your life. You do not have it in yourself to just recognize it as you move along. I'm just judging you. You don't have it in yourself to just recognize the, the, the goodness of God as you move along at the freaking speed of light in your culture and life. You don't. You can't. It won't happen. You have to stop intentionally and let your soul catch up with you. It is the only way. And you hear me getting real serious about this? This is the way the commandment is written. It doesn't say practice the Sabbath. It doesn't say do the Sabbath. It says remember the Sabbath. Why remember? Well, for the most part, most of the things we learn about Christ and our relationship to God in the Spirit through Christ, they're things we come back to. Somebody say amen. Like they're rarely like, oh, that's a completely new. No, you're designed to have a relationship with God. So it always feels like memory. It's this constant forgetting. And then we come back. That's one. Two, and I hope the volume will work for this. Because it's not just that we're up against, um, it's not just that we're up against life that in which uh, there's a lot going on and we have a whole lot. Uh, oh, I didn't mean to do that. So that's my daughter. We'll talk about her later. Um, it's not just that we're up against a really, really busy life. We're also up against legitimate forces in the world. Some of those are corporate, some of those are institutional, and some of those are straight up the devil who actually want to make you into something less than you should be. There are actual forces in the world that are after you. That's 100% true. And I'm not just preaching fear. Pay attention. And this little anti-gospel voice in the culture once in a while, will make itself known. Once in a while, because evil can get really stupid sometimes, evil trips up and you see it for what it actually is. And it says what it's actually thinking and trying to do. And sometimes it sounds like this. Okay, so besides very clearly being a commercial for a lesser piece of technology, um, <laughs> some, I hope you could hear it, see it from the back. His arm has become mechanical as he uses his droid. Did you catch the line at the end? Turning you into an instrument of efficiency. That's the anti-gospel. The anti-gospel is that your value in life is predicated on how well you can serve the machinery around you. Sometimes that machinery is Nike. Sometimes that machinery is the church you're working at. Sometimes that machinery is family. But this gospel, this anti-gospel, wants to convince you that your worth is predicated on what you produce for the machinery around you. 
And what it will tell you constantly is that your humanity is a problem. You can't multitask. What do you mean you can't multitask? You can't do two things at the same time and do them both well enough? What the hell's wrong with you? You get tired at night? You got stuff to do. You can't keep up with your to-do list? What's wrong with you? You, gotta, you have to overcome this problem you have with these limitations you've got. You can't finish college in four years? What's wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's wrong with you. You're limited because you're human, which is how he made you. You're a human being. Your limitations aren't a problem. Your limitations are the gateway through which the love of Jesus Christ and his grace walks in your life. Your limitations are doorways through which people who have gifts that you don't have get to be your friend and serve you. People without limitations don't have friends. Your limitations aren't a problem. Your humanity is not a problem. Your humanity is a gift. And when your body, your heart, your mind are screaming out that you're limited, you're running into walls, that's, that's memory saying, come back home. Come back home. Stop chasing that thing. It's going to kill you. It does not love you. Come back home. And if you don't buy the idea that we're being treated like machines, this is... The, this stuff, y'all, like, this ain't, this ain't food. Some say amen? amen? If you pay attention to what's, like, the, what's going on in, in these cans, these are chemicals, and that's it. This is literally the crap you put in a machine to keep it working. And I can make fun of this one because uh, that one's mine. Yeah. When I was your age, I'm going to talk for a couple more seconds and we're going to have a chat. Um, when I was your age, uh, I'm 46 now. I was in college. I had two jobs and I was on Young Life staff while I was in school. I had a lot going on. And I was drinking a considerable amount of coffee. Uh, and I didn't know how much coffee I was drinking. But I had to find some way to overcome these obstacles in my life that were tied to my limitations. I just had too much to do. And like, I, I couldn't sleep very much because I had stuff to do. Anyone sound, sound like your life a little bit? So I didn't have a computer because this is, uh, you know, the 90s and I, this is before roads and all that. And, um, so I had to go to my mom's house. I had to go to my mom's house to use her computer to do homework and she had one of those old Macs with the clack, 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 clack. So it's like I did my homework between like 11.30 and 3 a.m. pretty regularly. That, that, that's, those were my homework hours because I was, like I said, I was on Young Life staff. I was, working, I was also working as a substitute teacher and then I had another part-time job. And uh, it was like two, and I'm working on this paper for a philosophy class, and my, and my, my fingers start to go numb, like these two, and, and it was really strange. And I'm not a hypochondriac until I am. Uh, and so I start, to, I start to freak out a little bit, and my heart rate starts to kind of, and then they're like, like, which thing happened first? Is it the nerves or is it what's so... And, and then the, the, the whole hand is now numb, and the, this hand's starting to go numb, and I can hear, feel my heart going, dick it, dick it, dick it, like real fast. And then every once in a while it goes, dick it, dick it, dick it, dick it, dick it, dick it. I'm losing my mind. So I call my family doctor. It's a doctor that he'd known me at the time since I was like three years old, Dr. Davidson. 
And I call, I, I take my, you know, get my, go in the living room, get, find my mom's phone. I call my doctor. And, like, it goes to voicemail, of course. It's, it's like 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And I leave him a message. I'm like, just free, like a freaking out. He calls back a little before 5. Maybe, whatever, and he's like, hey, 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 hey. Slow down a minute. Office opens at 6. I can get there a bit early. Can you meet me closer to 5? He's like, yes, I'm, I'm headed down. So I leave my mom's house. I print the paper out as best as much as I've got done, and, and like, I'll have to finish it later because I'm not finished, finished, done, done, done. So I go by 7-Eleven on the way to the doctor's office to pick up some coffee. And at the time, 7-Eleven was selling these, uh, these 32-ouncers. It was like the big orange ones. So I'm, like, I'm in the doctor's office. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this big coffee. I'm like pounding the coffee. And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with my life. I just, I just feel like I got nerves all the time. And he's like, hey, so there's no history of heart disease in your family, so I don't think there's a problem there. Can you t- how much coffee are you drinking right now? I'm like, why? Why, why would you ask that? Is, there, is that, is that why, why is that relevant? I mean, I don't understand why that even comes up. What's the, what's the why, why asking? He said, like, like, yesterday, how much coffee did you have? And I was like, I don't, I don't really know. He said, let's just walk through the day. I was like, well, so I, I woke up at 4.30 because I had a substitute teaching job. And so Stav and I made two cups of coffee before I left. And then I, I got a coffee actually on the way. To, uh, to, the, to the job and then I had coffee during the first class I had coffee during the second class and then I had coffee when I left because it was done at lunch and then I went to the campus where I do ministry and I was, had coffee with the kids there and then I had coffee after lunch and then I had coffee on the way to class because I had an evening class, afternoon class and I had coffee during class actually two, two, three coffees during class just a two and a half hour class and then I had coffee after class and then I had coffee on the way to my mom's place and I was drinking coffee and I walked through the day and I had had 17 large coffees <laughs> And the doctor says, Dr. Davidson, like I said, like family doctors were great because like they, they knew you and they could say things. And he goes like, he goes, I feel like you're at a crossroads. Uh, you can either taper off on your caffeine intake or just start doing speed. I was like, I was like how, 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 uh, how, how much is speed? Do you, do you know a guy or is that... I was fueling a life that was stealing life from me. I was trying to finish college in four years and hold down two jobs. So it could be the case, and this is, uh, this is kind of on edge. It could be the case, friends, that you're not going to finish in four and guess who's not going to care when they're 75 years old? You. There are these urgencies chasing you down, telling you that the fact that you can't get it all done is a problem. I think wisdom would say that the fact that you can't get it all done is evidence that you're not living your life fully. And it's time to make some changes. And if you pulled 52 days off your calendar year, it would, might mean that you can't finish college in four years. And that might be the best decision you ever made for your health. I'm just telling you, the Lord, like, find in the Bible where it says you got to finish in four. That's just some stuff people made up, y'all. It's an artificial urgency. Um, I love this book. Byron's got it in uh, at the bookstore. If we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. 
Sabbath dissolves. Watch it now. The artificial urgency of our days. 95% of the crap we freak out about and worry about is made up. It's not real. It's artificial. They're systems we put in place. They're metrics we installed. They're not God-ordained realities. But we bend ourselves backwards to meet these standards. And it kills us. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop and remember you're not a machine. You are not defined by your productivity. You are beloved. Um, I'm going to jump all this. So really quickly... Okay, fine, I get why, how, and when. How do you Sabbath? We're going to do a little bit of exercise, and we'll give you an exercise here in a second. Um, yeah, we've got a little bit of time to do it. How? So, I don't know if you've heard about this book. Uh, it's called The Rest of God. Um, <laughs> Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath by Mark Buchanan. Uh, Byron actually has these in the bookstore. And uh, in the middle of the book... Uh, he gets to this thing, like, how, how, how does he actually practice Sabbath? And he call, it's what he calls his Sabbath mantra. It's to cease from what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do, do whatever you want. What do you do with the whole day set, up, set aside? You cease from whatever is necessary. You embrace that which gives life. And that sounded, like, relatively simple until I got into trying to figure out the line between what I do out of obligation and what I simply do for joy, and I realized that I didn't know. I didn't know, the long, I didn't know where I was. Like, what do I do for pure joy? I, like, I was a good Christian boy. What do, you do for, what do you do just for joy? I like serving the poor. Like, that, like, I, was like I was so caught up in the work. And I, here's the deal. I enjoy my work. Somebody say amen? That does not make it a pure joy, because if I don't do my work, it's still an obligation. So I had to do some long work and continue to do that long work over the last 12 plus years, 13 years now, more than that, of actually drawing this line and figuring these things out. Things I do in obligation and things I do in joy. This list, what do you do in obligation? And then what do you do in joy? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest normally what we would do, these used to be 90 minute sessions and we would like spend some time, you would make a list, and then we would talk about it. I think we're going to do something a bit different. So I would love for you to pick the ball up here and spend some time in your life, uh, like just in, in a journal, and start making these lists. The things in your life that you do out of obligation, and then some things that you do that are simply joys. And here's what I mean. Not stuff that you just happen to enjoy, but stuff that's like... Like, it's, it's a joy for you to do. It doesn't add to the bottom line of your life. It doesn't make you a better student. It doesn't make you a better employee. It doesn't make you a better anything. You simply just take joy in it. Because if you can possibly imagine, God wants you to enjoy your life. I'll say it again. God wants you to enjoy your life. The first time I made two lists, it looked like this. Obligation, writing, songwriting, study, sermon prep, blogging, editing, film, video work, admin, email, duh. Um, counseling, mentorship, I'll come back to this in a second. Strategy, life-giving stuff, reading, novels and comics. So I read all the time because I've got, like, I, like, my work is, like, I teach and do that stuff. So, but on the Sabbath day, I don't read anything I've got to use for. As much as I might like the book, I don't read stuff on my Sabbath day that I'm going to use for work. 
So I'm in like I'm in comics all the time on the Sabbath because they're just I just love them. Exercise, long runs. My wife does not have exercise on her list. Uh, playing with my kids. Y'all are most of y'all are a little ways away from like having kids in your life. But man, what a gift it is <clears throat> to my kids. The gift that my dad wasn't able to offer that there there is a day every week. For the most part, we, we miss on sometimes, but like there's a day every week when like when I'm playing with my kids, I don't have to pull that thing where it's like, all right, guys, I got like five more minutes. When are we done playing? <laughs> when they're done. Like my kids know they have me for the whole day. I get to give that gift to them. Silence movies. Imagining, day, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 4, I'm a sea otter, I'm all those things. So the idea that I can just spend time to like just letting, you, remember, you know that test where it's like, I'm a lion, I'm a golden retriever. I'm like, I'm a sea otter? Like, <laughs> I guess, fine. But the, the fact that I've got like, on a Sabbath day, I can just let my mind go. Uh, last little note, and then we'll have a little bit of conversation. I think we have some time. Uh, this one, this is probably important for you, I think. We'll find out. When I first made the list, that's what I said. I said counseling and mentorship, but that's not really what I meant. You know how sometimes like, you'll say a thing, and you say it in a way in which you're actually, you're actually kind of masking the thing you're really saying? So like, yeah, I, I can't really do counseling and mentorship on you know, Sabbath days. What I was actually doing is like, in, I was internally like, taking a survey of all the relationships in my life. Watch out now. I was taking like, a relational survey and like surveying all the people that I had a relationship with and realizing, watch out, that the vast majority of people I'm in a relationship with are not life-giving. And so I started making a list of the people I spend my time around and with. And it was brutal because I like people. I got to really like people. But there's a really, really short list of people who are life-giving to me. Dang, was it good for me to see that list and know that those people exist? And man, was it hard but also good to be like, hey, I like these other folks. I do. But when I'm done with a conversation with some of them, I'm a little bit tired. I don't feel great about myself. I don't see myself more clearly. I don't see Jesus more clearly. And that's most, watch out, that's most of the people in my life. And that's not bad. Now, Jesus Christ was Lord God Almighty. He had 12 friends, of which three were pretty decent. (laughs) One dude was like, 30 pieces of silver? He had a really small group of folks he hung out with. There were thousands of people following him around. He went to a few folks and said, you, 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 let's roll. And then he ran with a few folks. He knew who those, he knew who those people were. You're going to have a long, wonderful life and you're going to have a lot of relationships. Figuring out who's life-giving and who's not is super key. And there are going to be some people on your list who are some great folks that aren't. And so if you actually set this day aside that is only for life-giving stuff and you think like, who would I fit into that day? 
Man, that's a really good metric to figure out some stuff about who's life-giving in your life. Let God clear that up for you so that you can let true and good friends into your heart, your life, your mind, your soul, so that you can live life well and fully long-term. Um, please do this. Just get started. Stuff you do in obligation. Stuff you do for pure joy. Continue to remember that there's stuff that you do in obligation that you do in joy. That doesn't make it a joy. Somebody say amen. In fact, if you want to continue to enjoy your obligations, you have to learn to not do them. Um, I'm going to stick around if you want to talk. I talked way more than I planned on because it's kind of got a roll. Um, let, me fig- let me do this last thing. So here's why I do this. Um, every day, every day I wake up, including this morning, I put these two things on. This one, uh, they both have words on them. Uh, this one uh, is uh, it's, it's the Rage Against the Machine lyrics. Um, and it says, born of a broken man, but not a broken man. My father grew up in a generation of people, grew up just like a lot of us. And he bought the notion, he heard that voice, that you are what you produce in the world. And he kind of bought, like kind of sold out for the notion that like he was an instrument of efficiency. And he was relatively comfortable with that because almost everyone else in his life kind of believed that and acted like that. That's the world. Specifically at the time, it was like the world of men. It's increasingly, watch out, it's increasingly becoming the world of women as well. So he bought the notion that it's what he produced with his life that mattered. And then when he was 55 years of age, he, uh, he lost a job. I was in my 20s at the time. And because he had lost this job that he had really valued, he didn't know where his next job was going to come from. He kind of lost his sense of identity. And really specifically, he kind of lost his sense of what his value was to the people who loved him, including me. What he believed, again, was that what he could contribute was the basis of his value. So my father ended his own life with a handgun for the express purpose of making sure that we could get our hands on the insurance money. If you think for a minute that that's not what machinery wants from you, you're wrong. It wants to make you an instrument of efficiency that can steal from you and make you a battery to power itself, to take your life. It's what it's trying to do to you, and I want it to not. I want you to know that you're beloved. I'm born of a broken man. Like, that's, my, that's me. It's in me. I love my job. It's hard for me to not do my job. And it's, as an artist, to, like, buy into the idea, it's what I produce that I'm defined by. Like, most of the artists I know and coach feel that way. Like, it's in my skin. I can feel it all the time. Like, the temptation to buy into that. But that's not who I am. I'm a beloved son of the living God. Amen. Period. So that takes me to this one. Hold on. It's a Tom Waits song. And the thing I need to hold on to is that I'm a beloved son of the living God. And I cannot know that just by thinking it. So I'm going to say amen. I have to practice who I am or it's not who I am. 
You are beloved of God. You have to live that. That's not sentiment, y'all. You're not rescued by the sentiment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're rescued by the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you do not practice this with your life, with your body, you cannot be saved by it. The gospel is not an idea. It is a fully embodied reality. What's it look like for us as Americans to be loved by God, to actually practice our belovedness? We turn around to the machinery that wants to make us instruments of efficiency. We hold up these 52 days every year and we say, I do not belong to you. I belong to Christ. And it's going to cost me time and it's going to cost me money, but I'm going to gain eternity with the Father and I don't care what you have to say outside of that. I want that for you. I want that for me. So every time I preach this, I preach this so I can remember it. And I preach it so that maybe you might remember it. And tell the stories so that you might remember the stories of the bananas person from California with the 17 cups of coffee. And then you would remember that you are not what you produce in the world, that you are beloved sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. Have a great next session.